Hello everyone, welcome to Summit Church Fenton. I'm so glad you've joined me today and I look forward to sharing the Word of God with you. Over the past many weeks, I've been conducting a series titled Jesus the Great Storyteller and we've been looking at the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now next Sunday is Easter Sunday or Resurrection Day and uh, so I'll not be covering any parables next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Diane is going to join me and we're going to have a Resurrection Day greeting for you. And so uh, we'll do that next Sunday and then I'll get back to the parables the, the following Sunday. But over the past many weeks, as I said, we've been uh, studying the parables of Jesus. And if you've missed any of those, uh, they're in our archives. You can go there and get anything that you've missed for free. But of course, a, uh, a parable is a, a natural story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And uh, Jesus taught uh, a lot of parables and we can learn so much about the kingdom of heaven or you could say the kingdom of God by studying his parables. Uh, he, he started so many of them by saying the kingdom of heaven is like unto and then he'd give the parable and, uh, and then sometimes he'd give a detailed explanation of the parable to those who wanted to stay around and listen to it. But we can learn much about how God and his kingdom operates by studying the parables. And we can also learn some things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the, of, the, of the world because there's a verse in the Old Testament that said that the Lord would open his mouth and speak in parables and reveal things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So uh, many good reasons to study the parables of the Lord Jesus. Now, today I want to look at three parables. Uh, it's the parable of the lowly place, the parable of the great supper, and the parable of the marriage feast. And the great supper and the marriage feast are very similar, as you'll see as we get into them. And the parable of the lowly place leads right into the parable of the great supper. So we'll cover these three parables today and trust that we'll learn some good things about God and how his kingdom operates. Um, so go to Luke, the 14th chapter and verse 7. Uh, the Bible says, so he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, uh, so he sees people coming in to this place where they were invited and he sees people taking the best seats. And uh, he, he says, when you are invited, verse 8, Luke 14, verse 8, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you may be, uh, be and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who has invited you comes, may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So uh, this is called the parable of the lowly place. Uh, it's a parable of humility. And, and again, Jesus, you know, seeing people coming in and, and wanting the best seat. And uh, he gives this parable and putting it in my own words, he's saying, don't, don't do that. When you come in somewhere, don't look for the, the you know, the, 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 the most honorable or the, or the best place to sit, 
but rather, uh, you, you know, take a, take a place of humility, go sit, you know, don't, 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 don't go look to sit on the, uh, on the, you know, like on the platform, you know, in a church service, there's a platform where the pastor and the worship team usually sit and then, then the, then the main floor, you know, he's saying, don't go up and look, and look to sit on the platform, you know, uh, don't look for a don't look for a place of honor, but rather sit sit in you know maybe sit in the back or whatever. You know I shouldn't say that I guess because pastors for so many years I know people always uh, they, I could never get them to sit on the front front row. They just for some reason they just didn't want to do that. But but let's don't get that confused with this parable. <laughs> so. So I'm not telling you if you're a church member to not sit on the front row. I, I'm sure pastors out there listening to this would love it if their their church members would sit on the front row because so many church members just won't do that for whatever reason. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they study this parable and they're, they're, they're wanting to sit in the back. I, You know, uh, to be humble, I don't know. I don't know why church members won't sit on the front row, but they just don't. So I've 30 years of experience. But don't get that. That, that has taught me that. But anyway, let's get back on the subject here. Um, that has nothing to do with this parable. It's just, but, but it, this parable is about humility. It's about humility. And, and so when you come into a place, he's saying, don't look for the, let me put it in my own words. Don't look for the position of honor, but rather be humble and sit in a, in a place that, you know, that, that would not be a position of honor. Because if you, like Jesus said, if you go in and you, you know, you, you go in and you sit up on a platform or somewhere in a church service, you know, just think you go in and you want, you want the best seat, you know, and you want, you want people to see you. And maybe you got a new outfit on that day and you go in there and you want to sit up on the platform so everybody can see you. And then the service starts and the ushers come and say, Hey, you can't sit up here. You got to go sit down there. How embarrassed you would be as you walked off the platform and went and had to sit back in the congregation. And so, so Jesus said, you know, don't, don't, don't take that position of honor when you come in, take a position of humility, because if you take that position of honor and you shouldn't be in that place and you get at, you get booted out, how embarrassing is that? But, but then the flip side, you know, if you go in and you sit in a, in, in, you know, sit in a humble place, you know, or maybe you go in and you sit, maybe you're sitting in the back row and, and just think if the person running that event, you know, as everybody's in there and, and they, they call for you to come and sit on the front row or sit up on the platform. I mean, you know, that, that, then what Jesus said, that would, that would bring great honor to you. And so it's all about humility. It's all about humility. And, uh, uh, it, it, that, that's just really, really what it's all about. It's all about hum- being humble. And, uh, I remember uh, actually in my life when I early on in the ministry when we started the church, uh, I'd sit up on the platform, and there's nothing wrong with a pastor sitting up on the on the stage on the platform. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you my experience. But I'd sat up there for over a year, I guess, and uh, uh, when we were meeting in the school, and then when we got into the into our church facility. Uh, I was sitting on the platform and one day I felt the Lord speak to my heart and he said, he, uh, this is what he said, what I felt he said to me, to my heart, I didn't hear an audible voice, just to my heart. He said, don't do anything to draw attention to yourself. And, <laughs> you know, that's all he said. 
And so uh, he didn't say any more, any less. That's what he said. And so the next Sunday, I I, I didn't sit up there anymore. I I sit on the front row, and that's where I I'd sit from then on for the next twenty, you know, however many years it was. I, I never did after that, never again did I ever sit up on the platform. I, I, I would preach from the platform up on the stage, but I, wouldn't, I would never sit up there. Don't draw any attention to yourself. And so we should take up a position of humility. You know, the Lord is humble. He is humble. He's very humble and, and, and he expects us to be humble. And, uh, uh, and if we'll humble ourselves, you know, it says right here, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, or you could say humiliated when you're asked to go sit down in the, in the lower spot, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see this again and again, this principle again and again throughout the Bible, is a person humbling themselves. If, if you'll humble yourself, you will eventually at some point be exalted. See, the Lord doesn't have a problem with you being exalted. He just doesn't want you exalting yourself. He doesn't want me exalting myself, you see. And so uh, uh, he wants to be the one that exalts you. Okay, doesn't the Bible say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? And if we'll do that in due season, you know, putting it in my own words that he'll exalt us, he'll lift us up and put us in that, that higher position at some point. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season, see? And so nothing wrong with being exalted if the Lord's the one doing the exalting, you know, but we don't want to exalt ourselves. And so anyway, this parable is just simply to teach humility and, uh, uh, you know, don't don't look for the, uh, the you know, the best seat in the house. Uh, just, just take up a place of humility. I remember uh, a couple of things that I'm thinking of now, um, I went down to see a healing evangelist down at the Keel Auditorium back in the late 70s. And this was my first uh, encounter with a large Christian crowd, uh, you know, thousands of people. And I remember that before the doors opened, you know, I'm just in, in high school at the time and down at the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis, you know, and uh, I mean, before the the doors opened, I mean, the place, it was just, there was thousands of people. And when they opened those doors, let me just put it this way. I, I had an awakening coming, man. I This parable, those people did not read this parable. I assure you that, or if they read it, they didn't, they, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't remember what they read because I never saw, I saw those Christian people run and 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 fight for those front front row seats and i mean they there were people pushing one another and and being rude to one another and going on and, and i never seen anything like it in my life and i had been to some wrestling matches professional wrestling matches at the keel auditorium previous to that and uh because they'd have wrestling matches there on the one side and then the you know the other events they'd have on the other and whatnot but anyway i'd been to some professional wrestling matches and i mean those crowds at the wrestling matches were very calm compared to these christians fighting for those front row seats i'll tell you what i'll tell you and so uh i learned a lot about how some christians operate you know we we need to be humble and uh uh and and uh just what this parable said here. I remember 
many years back, there was a certain minister's conference, and, and I remember hearing this story, but uh, a, lar- a very well-known minister was having a, uh, a big meeting at, in a certain area, and, uh, and the call started coming in uh, uh, to this ministry that these other big-name ministers, they were calling, they wanted the front row seats and the best seats. And, uh, and, and, you know, they were, some of, some of them, their assistants were getting right down rude, you know, with calling in saying, well, this is minister so-and-so and and he, you know, he's on this many television stations and he's got this big of a church and he's got this, that, the other, and, uh, he ought to get the best, he ought to get the best seat, you know, and, and and it was a bunch of, uh, of such ministers were calling in and I know the, the one fellow that was that was uh, not the main head guy, but the one right under him that was overseeing it. He just he got fed up with it. He said, "That's it." He said, "We're not having we're not having reserve seating for anybody. You know, just just our board members. But other than that, we're not having reserve seat for anybody." And so it was it was kind of comical to me, or hubris, or amusing, I guess, to me, amusing to me, to see some of these biggest these biggest ministries in the in the nation you know sitting up in what they call the nosebleed section you know because they didn't get their uh their their front row seat you know but any again i guess they needed to read this parable here they didn't do it so hey let's look at this parable let's let's take it to heart and let us be humble in the things that we do i and back on that healing you know uh, the healing evangelist i learned this too you know you don't have to be sitting on the front row for the lord to heal you he could heal you up, you up, you know, you're up in the balcony on the back row, middle, middle section, front row. It doesn't matter. You know, he could heal you wherever you're at. It doesn't matter where you're sitting. But the point of this parable is to be humble. Take up a position of humility. Don't take a position of pride and then have to be humbled and have to be set down, you know, and be embarrassed. No, take up a position of humility and then let the Lord exalt you in due season. Okay, now let's look at verse 12 here, Luke 14, 12. And then notice he also said, uh, then he, Jesus also said to him uh, who invited him, he said, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, maimed, lame, the blind, and uh, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, as I read this, I mean, again, he's he's giving a parable here. And what is the, the main central truth that we're supposed to take out of out of what he just said here um you know i i don't think for one second that that the lord never wants us to have dinner with our friends or our our relatives or our you know neighbors whether you know even if even if they are rich you know or well to do you know you see if you go in there and you try to make that parable say that then then you'd never be, you'd never be able to invite you'd never be able to invite your friends or your your relatives or anybody over for dinner. So that's not the point he's trying to make here. What he's saying here is here's the simple truth of this: don't just be nice to people who can bless you that, that can bless you back. Okay. 
But he says, he's talking about here, blessing the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, because they can't repay you. They can't repay you. And, uh, and that's the central truth of what he was meaning by what he said here is that we should not just go around blessing those who are in a position to bless us, but we should go around looking for people to bless that there's no way in the world that they could ever bless us back. That's what he's saying here. And, uh, I know in the, in, in many years of pastoring, I heard this, uh, excellent minister said this many years ago, and it's, it's so good. This minister said that, that in their ministry, they always blessed people that were more blessed than them, uh, people that were kind of on the same level as them. And then they always blessed, uh, to a greater degree, those who could not any, in any way, shape, form, or fashion bless them back. And, you know, that is so good. And that's just what Jesus, I think, is, is, is primarily what he's getting across to us here. Uh, you know, I, I, again, not picking on anything or anybody or anyone, but I've watched ministers on television over the years. You know, these big multi-million dollar ministers and, you know, they'll be on television and this one say, I'm going to give a hundred thousand to your ministry. And then the other one will turn around and he's got a million dollar ministry. Well, he's going to give that hundred thousand right back. And you know, they're blessing each other. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but, but, you know, if you're blessing people all the time, and a lot of times people, listen, a lot of times people bless other people or give them gifts, uh, hoping that because they're rich, they'll get something back in return. And, and see, that's what Jesus is saying here, we shouldn't do, okay? We shouldn't just go around looking for people to bless that can bless us back or give to people that, you know, can do stuff back for us. What, you know, what's the point? You know, you know, they're already blessed. We're already blessed. I mean, why, you know, but what he's saying here is look for people that there's no way that they could ever in their wildest dreams and a hundred lifetimes ever bless you back. Find those kinds of people and bless them. And that's what, that's what the Lord said to do. And I tell you what, it, pays rich dividends. He says, if you'll, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, you'll be blessed because they can't repay you, but, but you will get repaid at the resurrection of the just. Oh, wow. At the resurrection, you know, we're talking eternal rewards that the Lord will bless you with if you'll bless those that are less fortunate than you are. And, uh, and, and, and that, I tell you, that's, uh, I remember when, <laughs> When I taught school, I would always, I would be nicer to the janitors because I, 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 I tried to put the, these principles into action in my life. And I, I would be, I, on purpose, I would be nicer to the janitors than I was to the, my bosses, the, prince, the vice principal, the principal, the uh, superintendent, the board members. I'd be nice to them. You want to you be nice to them, all right. But I was always nicer to the janitors. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you, you know, what I did. And, uh, and it, you know what? It, it, you bless those that, 
that you know, I, I call them by their first name. I was nice to them. And, uh, and, and that's what I've always tried to do. I tell you what, if you do that to the janitors, I always had the cleanest room. I did. I mean, I mean they took care of me because I was nice to them. And I'm not saying the other teachers weren't, but I, I just say that I was, and I know I always had the cleanest room. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, and I guess not only did I have the cleanest room, but I uh, get something at the resurrection of the just. So praise God. Anyway, Let's go to verse 15 now when, uh, in the next parable. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now, here's the uh, uh, parable of the great supper. And this man gives a great supper and he invites many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who are invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. <laughs> oh boy. Began to make excuses. And, uh, <laughs> I, I tell you, I taught school for, for several years and I've heard every kind of excuse as to why a student didn't have their homework done on time. <laughs> but then, then you come over and begin pastoring a church and then, <laughs> And then you get to listen to people's excuses as to why they didn't make it to church. <laughs> and I, I tell you, I listen to, I've heard a lot of stuff, a lot of excuses, but here they be, so they're invited to this great supper and they, and they, it's not that they, uh, uh couldn't come. They didn't want to come. They begin to make excuses. Now let's read it here. They begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask that you have me excused. Now you think about that. You, who in their right mind would buy a piece of ground and then after you bought it, then you're going to go take a look at it. It was a, what I call a lame brain excuse. It just was. It, who would buy a piece of ground and then and then go look at it? You you look at it first before you bought it if you had a brain, and so it's a that's why I call it a lay brain excuse. The guy didn't want to go, and that was the excuse that he made. Another said, "I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused." Well, it's like it's like that's like in in our day we're gonna we're gonna go buy a car and then we're gonna test drive it <laughs> you know no you test drive it first and then and then if you like it then you buy it again a lame brain excuse and uh, and have I ever heard some of those over the many 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 years of pastoring and again lots of good people a lot of good I had so many good people that I pastored and still do so many, but I tell you what, always had, had some that just, I mean, I've heard some things, but, uh, some excuses and I could go on and on, but I, I, I don't know if this is the best one, but probably, uh, uh, the one that, that did happen is, uh, many years, many years ago, uh, this, this fella, he, uh, he he calls in and him and his wife can't come because it's misting outside. It's misting. Not it's it wasn't it wasn't winter time. It was it was misting. It was misting. Not even not even drizzling. It was misting. It wasn't night. It was a daytime service Sunday morning. So it was misting. 
and they were not up up in years, you know, where they, it was dangerous to drive. It was it was I tell you, it was misting. You know what I mean? It wasn't even drizzling, and they couldn't come to couldn't come to church. And they were scheduled to do some things there, but that day, but it was misting. Okay, but then later on, somebody gave him tickets to the Super Bowl. And it was like several states away, you know, many states away uh, up north. And that year it was up north from St. Louis. And, uh, and, and there was an ice storm on. <laughs> now this guy, he got in his car. I guess he had a buddy or whatever. And they drove, you know, ho- however many, three or four or five states through this ice storm to get to that Super Bowl. <laughs> he got there too, man. He got there. So he could drive through five states in an ice storm to get to the Super Bowl, but he couldn't drive a few miles through a, a, a gentle, you know, summer mist to come to church. Now I've heard had a lot of other bizarre excuses, I, but that I guess for some reason that that's the one that sticks in my mind. You know, he just, you know, I, I again I'd have more respect for people just call me up. And tell me, I don't want to come to church today. I'm not going to be there because I don't want to come. Okay, I can live with that. I can live with the truth. Don't tell me some kind of a lay brained excuse. You follow what I'm saying? So, but these are people that 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 were invited to this great supper, and they're making excuses, lay brained excuses. And then here's, I think, the best one. Verse 20. Still another said, "I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come." I've married a wife and I can't come. Well, I got news for you there, buddy. You married the wrong one. Absolutely. You married the wrong one. You know, you can, you, you can marry the wrong, uh, uh, person and it, it can, it, it can hinder you. I mean, I mean, think about that. I married a wife and could not come. Well, then you married the wrong one. Okay. Uh, what a, I mean, what, that's probably the biggest lame braid excuse of all of these here. Married a wife. But you know, it's so true. I tell you what, I have watched a lot of people over many, many years, many decades, marry the wrong person. And, uh, it's, it's, and, and I could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours on this. But uh, for the sake of time, I won't, but I'll just keep it simple and keep it brief. But I've watched a good number of people marry the wrong person. And it hindered them. It hindered them. It hindered them. I've even, I've even seen, uh, you know, people that the Lord wanted to use in the ministry, and uh, and they married the wrong person, and it 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 hindered them. It hindered them. It, it really, really did. I know. I've been married for uh, uh, over thirty years now, and uh, I mean, I I I married the right person. I really did. I married the right person, and and she has been uh, my wife Diane has been an absolute and continues to be an absolute tremendous blessing to me in all areas, not just the ministry. That's really the least of it. I mean, she's a blessing to me in every area that that we have in our life. But uh, but but the ministry, she I say the least of it. I mean, I don't want you to just think she helps me in the ministry. She helps me in every area. But when you turn to the ministry, she has been such a massive help to me in the ministry. And really, that's been the biggest thing that's consumed our time over the since we've really gotten married. 
I mean, uh, she has been such a, a blessing to me in the ministry in every way, shape, form, and fashion that I could, I mean, I, can, I could stand here for hours and I couldn't exhaust all the good things she's done for me and helped me with in the ministry. And, uh, and the thing of it is, the ministry is challenging enough if, if like myself and my wife are cooperating and working with a common goal, it's challenging enough. I mean, it just, it, there's challenges in it, but, 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 you know, if you're not talking ministry, just in life, there's challenges in life and, you know, it's hard enough, <laughs> you know, the challenges of life, ministry, whatever, it's challenging enough if you have a, a, a spouse that's, you're working together. But I've seen so many of them that uh, uh, have not worked together and it just, you know, it's just like adds insult to injury. It just makes a bad situation worse. It just, it's, it's hard. And so, but I, but I have, uh, what I'm trying to say is life's hard enough when everybody's cooperating, you know what I mean? But when you get people, couples that aren't cooperating, it just makes it more, it just, it, it just adds, you know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's just, it's just, it makes it tough, tougher than it needs to be, tougher than it is. And, uh, and the ministry, I tell you, like I said, I've seen, I've seen, uh, people that the Lord wanted to use in the ministry, but they married wrong and that, that spouse hindered them, hindered them. And, uh, and like I said, I could talk for hours on this, but um, uh, we'll just leave it at, at that. Um, but uh, I married a wife and I could not come. So you talk about some lame brain excuses. But all these people, given these excuses, okay, they, they didn't want to go and accept the invitation. Now let's move on. So they give these excuses so that, so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house got, he got angry. Now the master of the house is, 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 uh, is a type of the Lord, a type of God the Father. He got angry. You know, the Bible says you can be angry and sin not. And the Lord does. He, he is love, but he also gets angry. And he got angry. And he said to his servant, go out. So yeah, lame brain excuses make the Lord angry. Absolutely. And uh, so he said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. See, just what he said before there. And the servant said, master, it's done as you've commanded and there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. See, the Lord wants his house filled. He's, he's having a party and he's inviting everybody. I mean, he invited these, 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 uh, uh, and, and actually what this is really talking about is the Lord came, he reached out to the Jews and as a whole, not all, but as a whole, they rejected him, so he turned to the Gentiles. That's what this is really making reference to, if you want to get right down to it. But but it certainly applies beyond you know Jews and Gentiles, and and, and so forth. But uh, but with that being said, he, you know he, he he let me say another way too. A way we could look at this is that you know he's inviting all to be saved. And the Lord invites all to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance and salvation and trust in the Lord Jesus. And he's inviting all to his great party. 
he's inviting all to be saved. And, you know, you got people making lame brain excuses. So, so then he's going to turn and invite, you know, whoever wants to come. And they fill the place up. And then he said, for I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Wow. He was angry. And uh, so you don't want to come to the Lord's to the Lord's party. He invites you. He wants you to come. But if you don't want to come to his party, you know, fine. He'll just he'll just invite other people to come. I made a decision a long time ago. I, I want to come to the Lord's party. And I've said yes to his invitation. And I'm so glad that I did. And so uh, he's inviting you to be sure you've said yes to his invitation. Now, with that being said, let's go to Matthew 22. And that was a parable of the uh, Great Supper. Now, let's look at a, a parable that's like unto it. Some say it's the same one, but it's, it's, it's like unto it. So we'll cover it here. Of the wedding feast, Matthew 22, verse 1, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like, so there it is, a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. We just read about the excuses that that they made. Again, he sent out other, uh, they were not willing to come. See, they could have come. They could have come. They could have come. I learned this. People are going to do what they're going to do. People are going to do what they're going to do. And if they don't want to go to church because it's misting outside, they're not going to do it. But if they want to drive five states through an ice storm, they're going to do it. I, I've learned that long time ago. So just people are going to do what they're going to do. And, uh, but, but, they were not willing to come. He invited them. They weren't willing to come. Verse four, again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. They made light of it. We should never make light of the invitation that the Lord has has given to us. And they made light of it. We saw the excuses that many made, gave, lame brain excuses. And uh, they made light of it, went their way, one to his own own farm, another to his business. See, their 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 business was more important than the Lord, and so forth. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And he said to his servants. The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Now you think about that. And, and, and this, of course, has to do with God sending Jesus and the Jesus being rejected and all of that. Certainly that's, that's a type of, uh, that's what this parable is making reference to, that he was rejected by so many. But then verse 8, he said to his servants, the wedding's ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Well, now why weren't they worthy? Because they weren't willing to come. They weren't willing to set the, to make God a priority. They weren't willing to make salvation a priority. They weren't willing to make their eternal destiny a priority. They weren't willing to make the things that were important to God important to them. I mean, key to success in life, find out what is important to God and then make that important to you. Absolutely.
But they weren't willing to make that which was important to God and what he put a priority on important to them. And so he says, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. You know, God invites everybody to be saved. You know, people who are morally good and people who are morally bad. Everybody's invited. Both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now remember that he invites everybody. Both bad and good. You know, <laughs> bad people that are morally corrupt, people that, are, that aren't. Now that's going to be important here for, in just a moment. Both bad and good. And, uh, and when the king came to, in to see the guests, now watch this, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, now he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's being cast into hell. Wow. Serious all of a sudden, isn't it? Well, why did he get, get cast into hell? Because he got in there. And he didn't have, and here, here's, here's why, because he didn't have on a wedding garment. Now, I had a person many years ago come to me when I was teaching on this, back long, many, a couple decades ago, I was teaching on this, and, and they, they wanted to get into an argument with me, is how did that guy get in there in the first place? How did, how did that guy get past the door how did he get how you know and he was going on about how you, can you slip into heaven you know how how would you slip and he was on and on and on look a parable is a simple story to try to teach us a simple truth okay and the simple truth here that the lord is bringing out is that you can't be in there if you don't have on a wedding garment you know the bible talks about a a garment of salvation a garment of salvation that everyone gets when they repent of their sins and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And morally, uh, it's, everybody, everybody understands morally corrupt people need to repent and receive Jesus and get that garment of salvation. Now, everybody understands that. But what a lot of people struggle with is there are people who are morally good, morally you know, uh, you know, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't cuss, they don't chew, they don't want to run around with people who do. You know that kind of thing. They're, 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 they, 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 and they are. They're, they're, they're morally very good, but they have to be saved too. Okay, so both need the wedding garment. Both need the the gown, gown or garment of salvation. And that and that garment is issued to everyone when they repent of their sins and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they spiritually get washed in the blood of Jesus, the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross. And, 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 and at that point, our garments, which are as filthy rags, the book of Isaiah says, uh, become white as snow. And that happens when a person, a sinner, repents of their sins, receives Jesus. And notice it talked about bad people and good people needing that, that, that garment, okay? 
that bad people and good people were invited. See, we understand that bad people need to get saved, but hey, good people do too. Remember Acts the 10th chapter, Cornelius, one of the most uh, upstanding men in the Bible, morally good, wonderful man and good family man, gave to the poor, prayed, all of that. But, but remember God uh, uh, sent an angel to him and said, send for Peter and he'll tell you what you must do. And of course, well, what do you mean? What, what he must do? He's a morally sound man. He, he, Peter came and preached the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and Cornelius in his household received Jesus and got saved. See, even the good must be saved. There's a lot of good moral people in hell right now. You need to realize that. Why? Because they thought that in and of themselves they were a good person, good enough to make heaven on their own merit. And, and it's just, it's not so. Whether you're morally corrupt or you're morally good, either way, either way, to, you know, you're invited. God has invited you to salvation, to his party, but you have to repent, receive Jesus. When you do, you get that, that, that wedding garment, if you will. You get that gown of salvation, garment of salvation. And then you, you, you could be in there. That's what makes you worthy to be in there. In, in that party and then you're not going to get booted out glory to God and and this guy he got in there and he didn't have that garment on and he got he 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 got cast into hell my 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 so when the Lord invites let's repent of our sins and run to him and accept his invitation and go in get that garment glory to God that God of salvation and go in garment of salvation and go in and have fun at the party amen glory to God and then he closes he says for many are called but few are chosen and you know if you if you read that one verse out of context what what it really means what that verse really means if you study into it is many are invited. We could say it this way. All are invited. Remember the Lord says, whosoever will, let him come. He says that in the book of Revelation, right near the end of the chapter, if I'm not mistaken. He says, whosoever will, let him come. Okay? So all are invited to be saved, to miss hell and make heaven. But few, by comparison to all that are invited, few accept the invitation. Many are called but few choose to accept the invitation. See, it's a choice that you have to make. See, many are called, or we could say it this way, all are called, but by comparison, only a few choose to accept the invitation. Remember, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. He said, but he said, narrow is the way. He said, and many, broad is the way that leads to destruction or to hell. Many there be that go in there at. He said, straight, narrow is the way you know, that leads to life and few there be in comparison to all that are going to hell. Few there be that find it. S- same principle here. All are called, everybody's called. Everybody's welcomed, right? But everybody's invited, but only a few by comparison choose to accept the invitation. Now, that's what that means. But, you know, there, I, I, before I knew what that meant, I thought it meant to ministry. I thought, well, you know, many are called, and among those called, there's just a few chosen to do great things for God. And, 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 and I didn't realize, I'm talking when I was a younger minister, that, that verse kind of threw me because I didn't, I was young, I wasn't even in the ministry actually when I read this the first time and, and I never really understood what it meant. I thought it had to, I thought it applied to ministry, but it, it, it does not. It applies to what I just said to this parable, but all are invited, but you know, all are invited. All are called, all are invited, but 
only a few choose to accept the invitation. That's what it really means. But it does, it is interesting over here. It, you know, if you, if you did apply it over in the ministry that, you know, that, that, that there are many that are called to the ministry. But there really are a few people that the Lord does choose to, to do certain things for him. Now, we look at it from our perspective and say, well, there's just a few that the Lord has chosen to be world-famous ministers. And, you know, look, here's the deal. Let's look at the Apostle Paul, okay? Uh, the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He got saved. He became Paul, okay? And God said to him through Ananias, he said to him, said to Paul, he was Saul who became Paul. He said that he was a chosen vessel and that he would bear his name, you know, before the, the, the Gentiles and before kings and all of that. And, and boy, that sounds, wow, that sounds good. And it is. What a, I mean, what a great thing. What a great thing. Absolutely. What a great thing. You think about Jeremiah, who the Lord said to him, you know, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee and set thee apart and ordained thee a prophet to the nations. My goodness, how does it get any better than that? You know, many are called to the ministry, but there's a few that are chosen like Moses, you know, the, 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 the burning bush experience, you know. So, so it's true. You can look in the Bible. You, you can see that there's a few people that Abraham and Moses and, you know, you could, the prophets and so on and the apostles and, and then, and then, you know, that, that God chooses certain people to do certain things. But here's the thing you have to remember with uh, the apostle uh, Paul. He was a chosen vessel to the Lord to bear his name before the Gentiles and kings. You see, a lot of people look at that and then they get starry eyed and they think, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to, to, to have that, you know, to, to, to be a chosen servant of God? Well, yes, it is. It's a high honor. But you have to also remember what the Lord said to Ananias, through Ananias, to Ananias to give to, to, to Paul. He said, and I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. So if, if, you know, or when God does, you know, set somebody apart to use them in a, in a, in a particular way that, 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 you know, you also have to remember that everybody I've looked at in the Bible that God has put his hand on and set them apart to use them in a special way, you know, it always comes with that, you know, yes, he's the calling and the, the setting apart is, is the highest honor that there is. Can't get any higher honor than God to put his hand on you and call you and, 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 and choose you for something. But when God does it, he, and when he really does it, it, it always comes with, and I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. And anyone that's truly not only called, I'm talking ministerial now, anyone that's truly called of God and then even chosen by God to do a special, a certain special ministry or whatever, you know, and then right away people start getting starry-eyed. Oh, you know, I'm going to be famous and all that. It always comes with it. I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. And you see that not just with Paul, but every God, every person in the Bible that God really set apart for a special work or service. I'll show them how great things they must suffer. You know, so, hey, you know, you, we all want to be, you know, I, I guess all ministers would like to be, you know, at, set apart for special work and and, there, and that's great, a high honor, but I'll, I'll close with something humorous. The Flintstones and Fred Flintstone 
you know, he, he got tired of working in the quarry with his buddy Barney. He wanted to be the, the boss. He wanted to take over Slate Quarry and be the boss. That little, that little Martian, if you don't know what I mean, just watch the Flintstones for several years and you'll see. That little kazoo, that Martian, made Fred, he snapped his fingers, made Fred the head of Slate Quarries for, for a day or whatever. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Fred, he, he, he got a rude awakening and he saw that being in charge and being the boss isn't all it's cracked up to be. And first thing he saw was, you know, when closing time came and Barney got to slide down that dinosaur and go off to the bowling alley or whatever, Fred couldn't leave. He had to stay and do paperwork, you know, a couple hours after that. And then when he thought he'd get to go home, then he had to go report to the board members. And after one day of that, he said, kazoo, he said, I just, he said, I, I don't want to be the boss anymore. I just want to go back and do, work in the quarry, you know? So, you know, uh, a lot of times we want to we want to be in charge. We want to be the boss. We want to be called to some great thing. We want to you know have great responsibility and all of that. But it's it's I can tell you just from pastoring a church for some thirty years, being in charge and being the boss isn't all. If you want to call it the boss, I don't know if you would call it that. But uh, 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 you know, it, it's not all that it's it's cracked up. It's not cracked up to be. Uh, uh, I was going to tell you a story. This one, this one guy comes in and and uh, he says, "I want to know who's in charge around here." And and the one the one deacon said, uh, he said he said uh, or he said, "I want to know who so and so is accountable to." And so they said, "Well, so and so is accountable to." So and so. Well, I want to know who are the deacons accountable. Here's what I say: Who are the deacons accountable to? He said they're accountable to the elders. Well, who are the elders accountable to? Well, they're they're accountable to. Uh, or no, no. He said he said uh, he he said who's the deacons accountable to? Well, they're accountable to, to the to the uh, elders. Yeah, the elders. Who are they accountable? They're accountable to the pastor. Well, who's the pastor? You know, or, or, or they got to the board. Who's the board accountable to? Well, they're accountable to the pastor. Well, who's the pastor accountable to? Well, his wife. <laughs> I didn't tell that real good, but but because I didn't intend to tell it, so I didn't practice it. But you you know. But the point is, is being in charge isn't all it's cracked up to be. And uh, I've, I don't know why I'm saying this. Maybe there's a, a young minister out there that's listening to me, and you know, you get you're all starry eyed, and you want to be the pastor, and you want to you know, be in charge and you want God to, you know, you know, have this great big ministry for you and this and that. I tell you what, now if God's called you to that, what a great honor. But, you know, I've talked to some, some, some pretty big famous ministers in the land and, you know, yeah, it's a great, they'll tell you it's a great honor, but, you know, there's, there's challenges that come with it too. And so, uh, many are called, uh, talking ministerial now and there are there are many called to the ministry and there are a few that god does set apart to do special works and great things that we would think are great but but he also shows them how great things they must suffer for his name's sake and you know what let me say this and i'll close i'll hush it's time to go but we get this thinking i don't know the lord just wants to get this across to people that unless you know, people think unless they're on television or unless they're on some sort of media, or unless they're got a big, large church, that they're not doing a great, great thing. I remember there was a certain fellow that attended my church for years, and 
my church, the most people we ever had was probably about 250 people. So it's not, it was never a large church. About 250 people. And, uh, and, and that's if everybody showed up. Okay. So we would have maybe 180 people during a week. And, uh, I know this one guy left. Yeah, you know, people are going to come, people are going to go. But when he left, he told me, he said, it'll happen for you one day, pastor. And I said, I said, what, what'll happen? He said, you know, one day you'll, you know, you'll, you'll have a, 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 a greater ministry. <laughs> you know, Hey, you know, you don't have to have big, massive churches and media outreaches to be doing what God wants you to do and being a blessing to people. And just do what God's told you to do. I've done the best I can at what God's told me to do. And, and, uh, and that's what you need to do too. I don't know why I'm talking about all this here at the end, but sometimes I get off on these things. You'd be surprised who's listening that needs to hear this. So, hey, you might be out there thinking, well, I, you know, God hasn't given me this great, wonderful ministry. Well, if he did, if he did, then look for the great things you must suffer. But don't demean yourself. Whatever God's called you to do, whether you're reaching a lot of people or a few, you know, there's people that, there's people that can, that, you know, there's people that reach those mass multitudes that can't reach the few people over here that you're reaching and vice versa. And so you just do what God's called you to do and don't worry about being great and all that. Take the lowly place. Take the lowly place and bless people who could never bless you back. You could always find those people out there. I don't care what level you're on. There's always somebody that you can find that couldn't bless you back. Do what we've talked about here today and just accept God's invitation and do what he tells you to do. And I tell you what, you'll be a blessing to many and uh, and, and, and you'll be glad that you did. And then at, at the resurrection of the just, he'll bless you back. Glory to God. Well, I'm going to stop here and I'll keep going. Hey, if you're out there and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sins. He's inviting you right now. Through me, he's inviting you to repent of your sins, receive Jesus, and, and come to the party. You'll miss hell one day. You'll make heaven. You, you get that wedding garment. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven. And God won't ever kick you out because you got that garment on. And, and he'll make your life worth living in the meantime. So I hope you enjoyed these today. Next week, we'll have a resurrection day greeting with my wife. She'll be here. She'll keep me straight on a straight and narrow when she's here. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, and then I'll continue with the parables. Well, hey, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.